Hey guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project Podcast. Marie and I moved this past week to an apartment just five blocks away from the last one, which accounts for our things aren't all set up, which accounts for the echo that you almost certainly heard in yesterday's episode and the one you're hearing in today's. This new apartment is just five blocks away from the last one, and the realtor told us at the at the very last minute, he kind of eked his neck out because the keys had been handed over, the cash had been traded. He said, hey, just so you know, this, uh, this unit is the only one in the building. There's four. It's the only one in the building that hasn't been rented out for like three years. So everything's new, but if you hear some creaking and stuff, some settling, like it's not, people haven't been walking around here for a long time. I feel like I sound, I'm going to sound like a know-it-all here, and maybe I'm just being paranoid, but I don't think he meant for his remark to be as unsettling as it kind of is. What I think is meant when a property manager says of a particular unit, particularly a ground floor unit, that it hasn't been occupied, hasn't been tenanted for three years, what they mean is that it has not been legally occupied in occupied. I think most cops will, will confirm that when it comes to a city as active and attractive and hot as Miami Beach, you should be wary about ever thinking that any structure, no matter how dilapidated or ugly or unappealing, is really truly empty. There's usually someone or something living inside there, and that person or that thing is likely to be feeling territorial. I lived in Little Havana until recently, and back in like 2018, 2019, I would occasionally walk along the f like the far eastern end of Southwest 7th Street, where like right before the overpass that leads to a very affluent area, Brickell Avenue, there were all these condominiums and they were all basically condemned. I don't know if they're like formal qualifiers for what makes a building condemned, but they looked, they looked like that word. The windows were boarded up, they had these no trespassing signs on the lawn, and they all had like a colorful notice on the door about squatters or taxes and they looked like the most uninhabited, the most uninhabitable spaces in Miami. Haunted as fuck, but if you, if you were walking by there at night and you paused and you stared at basically any one of those boarded up windows for more than like a minute or two, you would eventually see the glow of a lighter through one of the boards um, you, the glare of a cell phone inside, someone texting in the dark. Dude, one of the scariest passages I've ever read in a novel is from Less Than Zero by Bret Easton Ellis. It's, a, it's not a scary book. It's about a rich kid who comes home from college during winter break and he meets up with family and friends. But there's this one passage in the middle where the narrator is, is getting into bed. I think he's drunk and he hears the family dog barking in the kitchen. Uh, but he doesn't think much about it, goes into his room, puts his head down, dozes off. The next morning he gets up, he goes to let the dog out to pee, and while he's standing out there in the backyard, he looks toward the kitchen window, and he sees a pile of cigarettes in the grass, and they're all smoked down to the filter, and he notices that it's not the brand that anyone in the house has ever smoked. And that's it. It's never brought up again or explained or elaborated upon, but it creates this like crazy effective sense of dread for the entire book. This image of some dude standing at their kitchen window all night in the dark, just 
smoking cigarette after cigarette and staring inside. Have you ever seen those videos on YouTube? There's a weirdly huge number of them. The prototype is that there was this dude, I think it was in China, and he was saying like, I kept noticing that shit was missing in my kitchen or I would go to make coffee and the machine was not where I left it. And I thought that there was something wrong with me, like I was losing my mind. So I put this camera in my kitchen to, to sort of keep track of my movements and was I doing anything erratic? Was I spacing out? And of course, because this is the internet, what the camera ends up revealing to him is the fact that as soon as this guy goes to work every morning, there is a tiny ass woman who crawls out of the cabinet under his sink and starts raiding his fridge and like making coffee. This woman has been living in the walls of his house, which is a kind of a trend thing. Like when someone does that knowingly for fun or for sport, it's called frogging with a PH instead of an F. And the point of it is to go and live in someone's house without them knowing that you're there. So you break in, you, you climb into some quiet nook like their attic and you lay out your bedding and then you just chill. You, you can snake your way down into the walls and like you, you sleep when they're awake, you roam the house when they're asleep or they're out to work. There's a lot about it on YouTube and it, at this point, because the trend seems to have run its course, there's a lot of conversation about how it's an urban legend. An internet urban legend in the sense that young people were never really doing this for shits and kicks and likes and follows. Nobody was vlogging about this intensely illegal thing that they were doing. But, and this is kind of like the, the, the feeling I was having about this idea that the apartment was untenanted for three years. There's nothing urban legendy about someone crawling into a house from a discreet opening, a house that is not their own, and then trying to stay there without getting noticed, trying to escape the elements. Another video though I fall into rabbit hole with on YouTube is when someone, this is way more benign, uh, so when someone adopts a dog from a, from a shelter and then they get the dog in the car and right away the dog slumps over and falls asleep. The reason they knock out like that is because the shelter, the dog shelter is really loud obviously with like barking and crying and bowls getting smacked around and dogs rattling their cages. So when you adopt a dog from a shelter it usually that dog usually hasn't had like a full night's sleep since probably the day that it that it got there. Like it kind of highlights the hardship of whatever that dog has been through and like here it is finally in a place that's safe enough, quiet enough that it can get its first bit of sleep in a long time. And also it emphasizes like how little a, a rescue kind of needs from you. Like they're not looking for you to be parent of the year. They're just looking for a quiet place to fucking go to sleep. Another kind of video I used to fall into wormholes with a parent, or a dad, someone's always someone's dad, is showing his kid The Empire Strikes Back for the first time. And he's got his camera phone down at like hip level and he's recording his kids, a little kid's reaction to Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father. And it's magical to see how, like even in the face of a contemporary seven or eight year old in 2024, like even in this hyper digital, hyper distracted age, like cinema still has the power to crush a child's heart. A few years ago at a party, I started talking with a guy who was maybe like 10 years older than me and he was a little deep in his cups and he said, all right, I'm gonna tell you something and it's a bummer, but I've been looking for an opening to mention this all night. And I said, I am here for your upsetting story. Please take that as a standard rule. If you and I ever meet a listener whom I appreciate, like if you have something upsetting to talk about, tell me. So anyways, he goes on to tell me that he's got two kids. One of them's five, one of them's seven. 
And he says, so on Saturday, I was like, all right, man, today's the day. And I said, kids, fucking, we're making popcorn, we're watching Star Wars. And, and the way I'm thinking about it is like, I'm about to hand these kids like the foundation for their childhood, like a pillar for their imagination to stand on for the rest of their lives, like it was for me. So we make the popcorn and then I sit them down to watch A New Hope. Dude, they both fucking fell asleep in the first hour and I was so upset. And I was like, man, I'm gonna watch it then because I haven't seen this in a long time. But then, man, I fell asleep. And I just had to admit to myself that like the, the fucking movie does not hold up. He told this story like it's how he how he came to this country, like how he was exiled from his childhood home to be watching this beloved childhood movie from the perspective of a grown man in the 21st century and like seeing how it drags a little bit here and there, how cheap the sets were. Another friend of mine who's also a father, he told me a few years ago about how heartbroken he was when he tried to show his four-year-old daughter the animated Disney movies that he had loved as a kid, like Pinocchio and 101 Dalmatians, and to realize when he finally sat her down with it that they just have not aged well enough to hold anyone's attention. He said, I want to yell at Steve Jobs and say that it's because of cell phones and shit that my kid couldn't pay attention to the movie, but I'm not gonna lie, I couldn't pay attention to him either. There's these other two, I don't know why these are coming to mind. There's these other two videos on the internet and I know one of them is real, at least. I don't know about the other one, but they each look like news segments out of 90s television and each one is about a different woman. Each, each of these women has like a very similar haircut and they each have a possessed toaster. One woman, every time she makes toast, she says that the face of Jesus appears on the bread. And then, for the, for the benefit of the camera and the masses, she makes some toast to demonstrate this, this blessing. And yeah, there he is, the face of Jesus. But the other woman, every time she makes toast, something satanic happens. Um, like fire shoots out of the toaster, or Satan lives, is etched in the burned bread. Each one of these two women, and I do think one of them, I think the Satan one is satire, but they're equally convinced that this otherworldly figure, who governs the cosmology of billions of people on the planet, resides full-time inside their kitchen appliance. Point is, I guess, you never know what someone is going to end up calling home. Something rich and familiar that feels like home, something that warmed you in the past, you might find that it suddenly doesn't warm you up the way that it once did. Maybe you look at a condemned building with broken glass in the front yard and boarded windows and bullet holes in the wall and you think, no way. Anybody could live there, and yet they do. There's a bunch of people squatting in the front room. I'm not sure about this new apartment yet, but for now, like with all of our shit finally loaded up, everything cleaned out from the last unit, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, I'm pretty exhausted, mostly, which I think is what's inclining me to like it so much off the bat. I'm just loving the fact that the transition is over, that I can sit down and fall asleep. As any newly rescued dog or attic-dwelling frogger or, or crack-smoking squatter will tell you, home is wherever you can lay your head.